Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey everybody, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. It's so great to be connecting with all of you. And I hope everybody had a great fourth. How are you, Mr. Benny? Doing pretty good. That's my imitation of my firework display. I'm glad you got it. I'm glad you got it. So, (laughs) like, uh, you know, I moved to a new place. So I'm out of the old hood and Mm -hmm. into the new hood, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so uh, this is a different hood, right? Okay. into a different hood. So in the old place, uh, if you got like one firecracker, it was like, okay, that was the main event. <laughs> now, in the new place, which borderlines on kind of the Mill Creek, like it's in the vortex of like the Mill Creek, Everett, Bothell Vortex. Actually, it's actually called the Vortex. Actually, in the Weather Channel calls that, right? They Similar to the center vortex. of the universe. Yes, correct. Yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm. Everywhere right, I go. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um Everywhere I go, there I am. Uh, But, OMG, I mean, I haven't heard that many fireworks till I was living in the Bronx growing up as a kid. Similar to then we used to just blow up the manholes and stuff like that. Very similar. That was like consistently. Is that about right? Is that about right? I think that's Seattle. No, this was like boom. Like oh yeah, I don't have that. Well. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because I think it represents the energy people are feeling. Sure. Right? You know, it's kind of this like, yeah, not supposed to do the fireworks because we're in the middle of a drought. But you know what? We think we're going to do them anyway because <laughs> we think we're going to wait till after dark because then it's not so droughty. Yeah. Um, they can't catch us all, Pat. Right. They can't catch us all. Could that be another way of thinking it? Or I don't want to put that out there. That's Did you get any fireworks where you were or no? Uh, we actually went to a neighborhood that had them. Uh, the house that I was at, it was a barbecue. They actually did not personally. They did last year. And they're like, we're taking a break from, you know, purchases and so forth. We'll let the rest of the neighborhood do it. And I'm on board with that. Woo! I'll yep. tell you. It reminded me of like uh, Katy Perry, 4th of July. Oh, yeah. That 4th of July. I like those fireworks. But you know what it brings up? Here's what it brings up. It's really interesting because I'm talking to Lee about this today. Um, it brings up this fantasy, this idea. It brings up, shall I say, imagination. It taps in to this incredible world. When you have an event like fireworks, right, albeit the 4th of July, like July 4th, like what's that in the United States? That's like a day. And so when you have it, it represents something really interesting. But what it also represents is, and, you know, for me, Lee and I have one thing in common, Carl Jung. We probably have a bunch of other things in Carmen, but, you know, like Carl Jung, right? I, I, I like grew up for years saying, would you be my father? So then, of course, that's some kind of psychological Freudian thing that we're not going to get into today. But what is it about looking at a... a, a 
looking at Dr. Carl Jung and Jungian depth psychology and thinking about the world we live in today and what is it that has prepared Lee Adams and you know, all of us for what we're about to step into. So today we're gonna look at what Lee has done so far and there's much more that Lee has done in A Visionary Guide to Lucid Dreaming. Why is this important? Why is working with dream states so important in the world we live in today? We're gonna dig deep into that. But when we're in those states, what if we have symbols? What if there are things that just keep showing up for us? I mean, what in this world we're living in for many of us, even if a, this giant firework bomb goes off and you wake up, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? You know, are you starting to see things that could help us shape us, create the conscious reality of the world we live in today? You know, this is the body of work beyond this that Lee is doing. And today, by the way, fabulous book, everybody. We have two copies, Benny. Benny, get ready. Two copies of A Visionary Guide to Lucid Dreaming, Methods for Working with Deep Dream State by my fabulous guest, my uh, author, Lee Adams, today. Yeah. I only wish that I could have gone back and attempted to study Jungian psychology. That's what he's doing. But what is it about his pathway that is allowing him to step forward and say to all of us, there is a state that could help us in the world we live in today. Lee, it's great to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Patty. It was, uh, it's great to be on the show. And thanks for the great introduction, too. <laughs> You know, I, I just love having these conversations because underneath an author and underneath a book like this, and by the way, I, I, I've read the book, and so I may point to some things in the book, but I'm not going to go like, oh, I'm page 10 when you're talking <laughs> sure, about yeah. the route to beyond. That quote that you had, I'm not going to do that to you. I might, though. Benny, <laughs> Benny's like, yes, you'll do that. Um, um, but one of the things that I really want to talk about, and I'm going to jump ahead in the book is this repetitive nature of what we're seeing in symbols. And I don't know how to call it anything else. Maybe you can help me. I'm even struck by what I'm looking at in your background. I'm, I'm really struck by repetitive <laughs> symbols, right? right? You know, people look at my background and they say, really, dude, twinkle, twinkle lights? Like, what is that? Twinkle lights? Is that Kuan Yin? Is that like a Buddha back there? And what's that blue thing? Do you ever take the blue thing out of there? No, I cannot take the blue thing out of there. Because the blue thing and the representation of what it means to me, I have no idea. So... <laughs> Uh, here's my question. What was it like becoming you and realizing that we need to understand more now than ever what is going on in our dreams in order for us to live in the world we're living in today? <laughs> uh, well, that's a great question. Um, what makes me me? And um, <laughs> yeah, so, um, well, I, you know, I've always been interested in dreams and in dreams, symbols are constantly apparent right and so it's i think it's natural for me to say what do these you know symbols mean what what what's the story here what's trying to be told to me because um like you brought up a good uh uh point is that oftentimes these symbols continually repeat themselves in dreams too and so we're challenged with that you know especially if it's um sometimes a more aggressive nightmarish type uh experience you know or even the happy dreams you know like uh um 
if they're repeating, we, we kind of bring our attention to that and say, what's going on here. So, um, for me, you know, um, that that's exactly what happened to me. I mean, I've, I've had dream experiences that were very detailed in depth, uh, very story driven and had these complex messages inside them. And I wanted to understand what they were. Um, and in our culture today, we don't generally look at symbols in, in the way that may, maybe ancient cultures did. And we don't really think of them as being important. And so in a way, it's like learning a new language. You know, you're, you're, um, you're going to say Japan and you don't know the language or anything like that. And, and, you know, you're sitting down trying to order your, your meal and, um, you have symbols in front of you, letters, you know, and things like that. And you also have the culture in front of you and it's hard to communicate, um, uh, if you don't know the language, what you're trying to get, you know, the, the person trying to take your order in, in this, uh, restaurant is, you know, they want to know what you're trying to say. So they're actively trying to communicate to you as well. But, um, you know, in, in that instance, it's, uh, it's challenging. So, um, you know, and, and for me, I'm still actively learning the language itself. Um, and it, it's not something that's easy because it's contrary to what we typically think of as language in our waking life, because our languages uh, deal with our senses, right? Like uh, our words and things like that. So a symbol, you know, it, most of the time when we think of symbol, we think of just an image, right? Yeah. But that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. Like in dreams, you have uh, images, but you also have auditory, you know, sensations. And you also have emotional uh, responses to those images. And all those things together is what I really call a symbol. It's, a, it's more of like a total effect on you versus just the image itself. So, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a complex thing. So, um, throughout my life, I had lucid dreams and in a lucid dream state, it allows an individual to communicate with the dream environment in a different way than is typical. Normally, you know, we're, it's a one-way conversation in a way you have an experience, you wake up and then you're like, oh, okay, I had a dream and let me try to understand what that dream is. Um, where lucid dreaming comes into play is it allows you, the conscious you, to come into a dream state and then ask questions in a way that typically yeah. you would do in waking reality. Yeah. And in doing so, the dream uh, symbols can communicate back to you and they can have a dialogue with you that is typically uh, not there. Yeah. So in doing so, it allows you to understand symbols in a different way to start learning that language to kind of build a bridge in between. So, um, yeah, that's where lucid dream kind of comes into play in the symbolism. Yeah. And I love what you're just talking about here for a minute, because let's get down to like, uh, the nitty gritty. Sure. Wasn't that like a nitty gritty dirt man? Was that like, Oh my God, am I dating myself? Yeah. You're dating yourself oh, there. My, <laughs> oh boy. Did we just do that? Um, but 
in the book, I love the way you, you introduced this conversation about consciousness because, and, and I want to get right to this conversation we're going to have with dreams. You say, you know, one of the things, you know, we talk about with especially transcendental meditation is, first of all, to be conscious, you have to have three things. One, must it must be able to observe. It must have observed itself. It must experience a process of observation. So basically... Uh, every aspect that you can possibly imagine in 100 million times times 15 of observation, this is in three bullet points. You either are it, watching it, or becoming it. Yeah, um, all at the same time. So, all at the same time. So the interesting part about that is, um, and the main point that I was trying to really get to people which probably is overlooked. No, <laughs> you, know? you did a good job. I got it. Uh, okay. Anyone that... will tell you. If, yeah. if I get it, you did a pretty good job. It <laughs> takes me a few. Yeah, is the um, the the realization that in order to have consciousness, three things are required at the same time. So it's not like uh, one piece evolved separately from the other and then it just happened to come together. It's actually three requirements at all times to exist at the same time for consciousness mm -hmm. to exist. So in this sense, um, it's kind of a way to um, break people out of this uh, cell they're in, you know, and say, wow, what is consciousness? Because nothing that we know of actually requires that. Uh, essentially, you know, in order to have those three things, if they're accurate, you know, exist at the same time, they always had to exist. And so mm -hmm. in that sense, consciousness isn't something, the big consciousness, right? Not mm -hmm. not your memories of yourself and what you ate the you know this morning and things like that. That's not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the thing that actually is you, not just um, yeah. your physical body, let's say, always had to exist throughout all time. So essentially it, it follows the same rule as uh, matter, right? Matter can't be created or destroyed or energy can't be created or destroyed, it can be just transformed. So um, it's essentially equating it to that. Um, it's It requires three things at all times. And if any of those pieces are missing, then it would fall apart, it wouldn't exist. So it's a very complicated thing. Yeah. Uh, not something that I think that we can just recreate, you know? <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay, end of the interview, we're done. Then he, <laughs> we're like, okay, he's gone. No. Uh, no, because in a sense, though, when I'm reading your book, there are a couple of things I really want to point to and really a stream that really makes this important to my first question about what I'm here's what I'm finding, Lee. Um, you know, I've been doing this a while. I, I'm not quite sure if you know how long Benny and I have been together. He's been my producer for 18 years when oh, the wow, show yeah. wasn't the Dr. Pat show. <laughs> and I am a student. I've always been a student. From the minute I got behind the microphone, I didn't even know what I don't know. And that's the way I show up to this. Now, there are some things in this world I do know. But this venue for me and speaking with you is an honor and a privilege because you're bringing a body of work, I believe, into the world at the perfect time. I don't think you sat down and said, well, wait a minute, lucid dreaming, methods for working with the deep dream state. I think I will do this to get us ready for COVID-19 and the <laughs> aftermath of that. No, definitely Well, you not. might have. <laughs> I definitely um, didn't sense that coming, no. But here's a cool thing <clears throat> that I want to bring up, and it has to do with awareness, but it also has to do with connecting the awareness part of the book with the interpretation part of the book. Mm -hmm. 
I want your opinion about this. Sure. I grew up as a kid with a wild imagination. And I did. I actually did grow up in the Bronx. So I wasn't joking before the show about that. That's really true. And we did do crazy things on 4th of July. I mean, my sisters blew up the bathrooms in the school. <laughs> they have now passed on. So I can say that about them because <laughs> nobody's going to hunt them down. Uh, <clears throat> but here's the thing that I realized. Now, I got sent to Dr. Jacoby for this. Maybe if you were around, that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> but I was this kid that before I went to bed at night, I would carve out the characters that I were going to have in my dream, who they were going to be. If I went to see the giant behemoth at the movie theater one day and I came back home and I decided I needed the giant behemoth so I wouldn't get jumped on the way to school one day, I would create this pre-dream storyboard before I went to bed and I literally that would play out at night um at one point I had an entire arsenal of characters and I was a great comic book kid great comic book fan I did the whole comic book thing but some people say that's not dreaming you know when mm. you pre-script your dream that's something else and I think in the world we're living in today, especially now what we know about the body of intention, the law of attraction, mm -hmm. we are pre-scripting our dream states all the time if we call in intentions. And I wanted to get your sense of this because if we can't create a sense of something so that we become more aware without ayahuasca, I mean, you could do ayahuasca. I love the Peruvians for that. <laughs> But that, that is a hallucinogenic, which some people say does put you in a lucid dream state. But what are your thoughts, especially around the, the children that are growing up now, Lee? I mean, the kids that are growing up now, you can sit down with a five and six-year-old and you will be talking to them like they are 20, 21. Mm -hmm. They just have a sense of the world. Mm -hmm. What is it that happens when we decide we're going to attempt to preset our dream for the night? Yeah, well, um, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, for Go one, ahead. <laughs> for one, you I know. Don't... <laughs> hey, you got 10 minutes before the break. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, uh, one thing I'd say is that you're definitely dreaming. Um, you're you're not not dreaming when you uh, preset your dreams, I guess. Um, and I would say that you have a great relationship with your subconscious, which isn't a young term. Young doesn't really um, ever really talk about a subconscious he he talks about the unconscious i know he subconscious does. is more a freudian thing um, i think but, he's a closeted case on that but we can save that for the great <laughs> conversation but i definitely um support the subconscious priming thing so um yeah I, I mean what you're talking about is essentially um magic right in in the sense that you're priming your subconscious in order to have an experience and we constantly do that all the time um even unknowingly or knowingly. So um, so I don't think it's um, strange that you can do that, you know, or uh, strange that you experience that because we experience it every single night. So, I mean, people often dream about things that they experience during the day and, um, and that gives a little bit of a reason for the scientific community to kind of discredit dreams as being just random things that happen throughout your day and then you're dreaming that um what i would say is that 
even though you're priming your subconscious to have these dream characters and these images appear in your dreams, um, I would say that there's a possibility, I don't know you and I don't know your dreams, but that your, that your dreams are, um, that the dialogue and the experience inside the dream isn't necessarily the things that you uh, desire to experience. So exactly. they will surprise you. <laughs> you do know me. Benny, he's like, I don't know you, but then like he does know me. Yeah. The reason I'm bringing this up for a minute is, and let me get all like Jungian psychology on you for a moment. Sure. Um, I do another show on Thursdays called The Psychic and the Doc. And, okay. and I'm not the psychic. Mark Anthony oh, okay. is. I get to be the doc. And one of the few times actually <laughs> that I'm actually using this degree. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing I'm discovering. And this is, I'm so excited to have you on the show. And I, I just, I got to tell you, uh, I love, I just love our folks at Inner Traditions. And I think Ashley um, uh, and Linda brought you on. Um, mm -hmm. But I was so excited once I read your book. When I got to the chapter, let's get lucid, I thought, he's writing this for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. But you're writing it for a lot of people. And can I just go here for a minute and then get back to, to ask you about oh, yeah, this? Sure. You could have written a book about anything. You really could have. Um, you know, given what you're studying, given your background. But lucid dreaming... I'm going to make a statement and you could just you could just agree or not agree. This, you don't have to agree with me on this show. <laughs> sure. OK, let's just be clear. But lucid dreaming for me. And based on what I know about it, based on practicing and certainly after reading your book, I'm really trying to practice more. It is to me this this portal. This portal to a future I know that I want Maybe my quantum partner is already existing in it, according to my friend Jean Houston. But lucid dreaming to me is this gateway, not to make life harder, but it's almost like an investigatory process where we get to find the clues. Mm. I want to ask you two parts to the question, one before the break. How close am I to your definition? <laughs> And please correct the part that's not. <laughs> yeah, well. Um, you, you can say it. I, don't worry. I'm not going to take a person. <laughs> lucid dreaming is um, it's part of that. I mean, I, I keep it pretty simple um, yeah. in the sense that lucid dreaming means having awareness in a dream. So any varying degree of awareness could be considered lucid. So you, you're you in a dream and you say, oh, I'm, I'm dreaming. Um, one thing that you know, attract me to lucid dreaming. And I think, and the reason why I wrote a book about it and why it's so important in the world today is because there's so many mechanisms in our waking reality to essentially control our perception of reality, you know, to direct our attention in some one way or another and kind of frame uh, this, ex this experience that we're having in waking reality in such a way that it's, it's that way. It's the way that the mass chooses, right? Yeah. Um, and we can find this in religion. We can find this in politics. We can find it pretty much everywhere in our um, in in our existence. What lucid dreaming is is essentially a tool that is ingrained in each of us to um, essentially have freedom of thought and allows us to explore 
uh, our consciousness and our unconscious in such a way that um, is the way that we choose. So it's essentially one of the only things that we have, I think, that allow us to explore freely and without um, a bunch of people and politicians and so on telling us exactly what we should think, right? So, yeah. so as a tool, um, it's very liberating. Yeah. And, um, you know, each individual's experience is very different than another person and intentionally because we're vastly different people. We vastly have different experiences and we're in different places in our life than other people. So the dreams are tailored using images throughout our waking life to convey messages through symbols that are important to us in some fashion. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's directing us to be a better person or say, um, you know, what we define as better person, right? But people would say it's directed by um, a higher self, right? Like the capital S, which is a Jungian term, self, yeah. higher self. So um, that's what Jung would say, is it's directing towards us yeah. in that way. And, uh, and not just Jung, but, um, you know, occultists and um, uh, many religious practitioners throughout the world, yep. you know, would say the exact same thing. So it's not something that is just uh, young, you know, spewing it's off not. his stuff. No, <laughs> believe me, I know it's not. I know it's not him. But I also know Maslow really took a beating when he put self-actualization on the top of his pyramid. Right. Yeah. But, you know, fast forward to that. where we are. Yeah. Fast forward to where we are today and say, bingo, there we go with that. Um, yeah. But one of the things I do want to ask you, and I want to talk with you about it when we come back. First of all, I love the way you give us different levels to participate. That's brilliant. I think it's one of the first books I've seen on lucid dreaming, on dreaming, where you say you can enter, you can enter this by doing this, and this will take care of this, or you can go more advanced. And by the way, give up caffeine. Did you see me drink my black coffee right there? <laughs> oh, so I'm drinking not coffee right group. now. So <laughs> yeah, I'm not in that group. That's not me. Um, but then the other thing that we're talking about is extending techniques. So you really take us in this book on a pathway that allows us to participate at the beginning, uh, at the basic level, or then move forward. I want, I do want to ask you this question because I've always baffled myself with this and, and, and Dr. Carl, you know, clearly, if you've ever seen pictures of, uh, of Dr. Carl sculpting, that was his pastime, mm. you know, he was a sculptor. I often wondered about that process of creating art and the way mm. that he looked at life. And, you know, the thing I want to talk to you about is if this is not about becoming a quote better person, then is it in fact about finding our right pathway and not right as righteous, <laughs> but right pathway for each of us? Because honestly, I never thought I would get out of being homeless and selling hot dogs on a street corner. I thought that was my pathway. I, was, I just love that job. It's the best job I ever had. What is it about this process that could help us find the next door, reach for the doorknob, and have the courage to open it? That's what I want to talk with you about when we come back from break. Okay. You can think Sounds about good. that. You have three minutes. The clock starts now. <laughs> Benny, let's take a short break. We've got two copies of the book to give away. I think we have one left, 1-800-930-2819. We'll be right back. My very special guest, Lee Adams, will tell you how to get a copy of the book and how to find out about 
a visionary guide to lucid dreaming. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Trish Laub from A Cup of Comfort, where we talk about care hero topics that nobody wants to talk about. Here's your care hero tip of the day. During all care hero journeys, the need to keep track of a lot of information arises, some of it critical. Possibly the greatest challenge care heroes face is the gathering and organizing of information. Just as every trade has a power tool, whether an electric drill or a laptop, my family's care hero power tool was the three ring binder. We generated a mini library of labeled three ring binders, one for each category of information, complemented with additional spiral notebooks used to detail medical appointments and episodes. This unfussy and convenient system of binders helped my family stay organized and able to deliver the dignified care and end of life my parents desired. Tune into my show to learn more. See you on the second and fourth Tuesday of the month at 12 Pacific here on Transformation Talk Radio. Feel free to reach out to me at info at The truth is funny. Shift Happens with Colette Marie Steffen is excited to welcome Karen Benton as a monthly guest host. Tune in on the third Wednesday of each month at 8 a.m. Pacific time to regain confidence and trust in your capacity to create change in your life, your health, your family, and your well-being. Karen Benton is a mother, nurse practitioner, certified body talk practitioner, Franklin Method instructor, and owner of Limitless Living LLC. For more information about Karen, visit karenbenton.com. The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. Hey, Benny. Don't worry. Benny, that is older than like the one that I did with the little nitty gritty dirt band. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that's like my sister's generation right there. Woo. That's a good, that's the Everly Brothers. Yes, it is. Did I surprise you that I knew that? No. Totally I didn't the mean Brothers. it like that. But... Not to be confused with Hall of Notes. Way um, different welcome, band. <laughs> different, but you know, they kind of looked a little bit the same. Like, mm -hmm. I think, like, maybe Hall and Oates maybe kind of did like a copycat on the Everly Brothers, but that's another show. Possible. That's going to, that's the power up show. <laughs> How many Tina Turners are there in the world? Raise your hand. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Um, I want to say that um, I, I'm really great to have Lee Adams join me here today, the author of A Visionary Guide to Lucid Dreaming, Methods for Working with the Deep Dream State. Before we talk about how lucid dreaming actually helps us realize our life's pathway or makes us more aware of our life's pathway, or at least gives us like a clue, uh, take the right, not the left. Um, how do people find out about you, Lee? How do they get a copy of the book? Um, well, they can go to luciddreambook.com. Um, that takes me takes everybody to the, my website. Uh, but they can also search on Amazon or through Inner Traditions and find my book through there. So, okay. um, 
and they can contact me directly through my website as well yeah uh, which is tailleaders.com but the luciddreambook.com takes you to the same website i just made it easier because yeah. <laughs> my site's name is a little strange i'd say so no i think it's great that you did that and what i want to say to everybody if you want to start working with your dream and want to uh, you know want to coach today you can also go to this website and there right there you'll see dream coaching or right next to get the book, there's Green Dream Coaching, and there's a bunch of other things, especially the blog. Take a look at some of the blogs on here. Really interesting. Um, and so you can go down to the Lucid Dreaming Challenges. That's a good one, too. But there's everything you want to know about Lee on here. If you're thinking, I don't, I need some more help. I need some help with my dream. Take a look at what some people are saying about their dreams, and then go ahead and contact Lee. Schedule your appointment. Um so one of the things, Lee, I'm fascinated by is, you know, and I said this earlier, I don't know what I don't know about a lot of things, but I'm so willing to discover. And what I've discovered about myself, if I use the tools that are available to me, life is a dream. Life is a dream. Now, that's an old song, Benny. Life is a dream. And when I think about that, I've often have to think about as I'm reading your book, how some things have come to me. And that's my question to you. You know, I've shared with the listeners that one day driving back from the studio where Benny's sitting right now, I hit the I-90 and my dashboard lit up. And I could see the entire vision on what the network was that we were to build, including how to build it. And from that point on, I literally had to pull over. And from that point on though, the image kept coming back and coming back and coming back. Can you talk about how the pathway from dreaming symbols and understanding them to help us or guide us through our lives? Yes, sure. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, uh, it's uh, very individual again. So, I mean, you, you brought up an interesting uh, experience about being awake and having um, an experience where you could say symbols of an experience, a symbolic experience, kind of communicated to you something that you wanted to do, you know, or mm-hmm. needed to do. Um, I'd say my book is actually uh, came to me that way. So it was, uh, it wasn't something that I really was intending to do, but I've, I had this strong need inside myself to um, put something out there in a way that people could um, learn from, you know, in in about dreams. And I didn't necessarily think that I was the person to say that I actually felt that I was the person that would probably be most unlikely to say that I have a bad history of like grammar and spelling and and all that and language so um but you know kind of like the story of Moses I think in a way um I kind of felt like that and I was like okay I'm I'm gonna do this so I put it down and then um you know and and when the book was published things in waking reality seem to align with that you know like uh lucid dreams uh have been in in the recent news um as well as film and and tv so um it's kind of perfect timing in a way so um but dreams you know they they present us with these narratives these stories symbolically and um in my book actually the this pretty much the 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 last half of it is essentially showing the individuals uh who read it about creating their own personal myth uh through through the book and most people think of myth they think of uh fantasy uh fake story right about um 
you know, they're, they're superheroes or uh, ancient Greeks uh, doing all these things, right? But what they fail to realize is that these stories are not about um, the Greek gods. They're actually about themselves. And the people wow. that wrote those stories were mm -hmm. trying to convey that message to them, that these stories are actually about each individual going through these processes. They're, they're normal processes that happen to us. And so I attribute most of my book to the hero's journey, which is uh, Joseph Campbell's work. Uh, he essentially saw these myths throughout history and symbols, and he um, he he identified a pattern that takes place, and he really went into and described this pattern. So I kind of attribute dream experiences to uh, the hero journey. Um, Joseph Campbell was more talking about waking uh, experiences, which would be kind of um, relatable to your experience, you know, like where you interacted with something and it would convey a message to you of something that you felt like you should do. Um, and so I kind of turned it around and put it into a dream state because really, um, I don't think of dreams being a higher priority than waking reality. I think that, um, you can interact through rituals and, uh, uh, you know, like ritualistic type of practices and things like that to, uh, work with symbols and but you can also do that in dream state i'm an introvert so i look internally for meaning and so dreams are something that i align with but an extrovert would probably project into reality their psychological workings and then um, work with that that way so what um you know it's it's a hard thing to really describe but essentially um how our brains work is that everything that we experience is internal right it, it we take information and then we generate a picture of those things inside our mind and that's how we relate to reality the things that we experience in reality aren't necessarily the things that they are they're representative uh the things that we see in our mind and experience in our mind are actually representative of the things in reality they're not the things of the reality so in that sense it's how we see reality versus how real what reality is and so in that sense, we can interact with reality in such a way that is very personal, has personal meaning to it, and also has a individual myth to it. So dreams uh, obviously are the same way in the sense that we're kind of removed from external experiences so much so that most of the images are generated internally. And in that sense, it's kind of more of a um, more clear picture of a mythic type experience, you know, where it's sim symbolic. But what I'm getting to is that essentially all things are symbolic. Um, and in the sense that they are representing things in the symbols of self are representing things that are much more complex and not the things that we're experiencing ourselves. Yeah. So, um, well, you know, it's an it's an interesting play too because it's a great way to understand it. I was talking to somebody over the weekend, and we were talking about they had heard my tagline on the on on the show. What would you do if you if you knew you could not fail? And I've talked about this a lot recently. And you know, the question really begs: you know, how do we live our lives? So we lived in that. And then I got a quote on my desk this morning: I've not failed. I've just found a ten thousand things that do not work. And <laughs> Right. Right. <laughs> and the reason I'm asking you this question is because in my dreams, and I think in people's dreams, sometimes we get messages about things that will work and things that wouldn't, but we get to play them out. 
-hmm. And we get to play them out in various ways. The thing that I want to talk with you about is this idea of decoding Mm -hmm. and being able to understand the dream. Because a lot of times, you know this, uh, sometimes we'll have a dream and a lucid dream and a dark thing shows up, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And now I've joked about this on the show last week, but (laughs) I will never watch Nightmare on Elm Street ever again. (laughs) I won't watch. I watched number one. And I went through a phase where I watched this and it didn't phase me. Mm -hmm. But recently, you know, I was flipping the channels and there it was. And I had a moment where I I got like, oh, like that. Mm -hmm. And the question is, what does Freddy Krueger represent to me? <laughs> exactly. Right? I mean, yeah. that is it like Nightmare on Elm Street? It's a movie. Right. It's a movie. But why in today, why would a Freddy Krueger movie in Nightmare on Elm Street, why would that give me like a little bit of a, a thing? Like, yeah. oopsie. <laughs> well, that's very individual, you know. Um, I can watch Nightmare on Elm Street and completely see it in a different aspect than you do. I I tend to see movies now symbolically. So yes. what does that what do these characters represent to me? You know, yeah. like the the person that generated the the story, right? The script writers and and the director, they projected into the film their psychology. Um even if they're unknowingly doing it. So um Frederick Kruger isn't just a scary dude, you know, running around <laughs> cutting people up in their dreams, he represents something very, um, you know, very real uh, because we relate to it. So because we have an emotional response to it, it means that something inside of us is actually relatable to that character in the sense that it's real, just not the character that we see on the screen. So it's symbolic, right? Yep. Um, and that's what I'm getting to is symbols is that they represent things. Um, and even super complex things that we really can't understand so um but freddy krueger and me you know i i definitely have had my share of nightmares involving freddy krueger and <laughs> um and freddy krueger has transformed over time to maybe represent more closely to um the source of what where i feel that emotional um impact come from but um any, you know, changing images and things like that. So a lot of people experience Freddy Cougar like beings in um, or visit visitors, we call them in sleep paralysis and things like that. And I've, I've definitely experienced that. So um, and Rudolf Steiner, if you know his work, he wrote about uh, a guardian in the threshold and things yep. like that. So and you talk about this in your book, yeah. and that's really, you know, what I wanted to bring up. You talk it's about guides guardian. and guardians yeah. of the dream. And, you know, the deal with me that I don't think I said to you is before I went to bed, I assigned an army of guardian, guardians for me. Um, but talk about guardians and guides, and because I don't know that people really really have a sense of guardians and guides in the lucid dreaming perspective? Well, I'll I'll be honest. I don't really have a good (laughs) (laughs) definition of them either. Um, The, you know, what I'm coming to more and more is that um, these are so individual, right? It's so complex that it it requires a 
an experience that requires, requires a relationship with these things in order to actually know who they are or to get a sense of what they are, right? It's like sitting down and having a cup of coffee with a friend. You know, you can have a 10-minute conversation with somebody um, that you've never met before, like, uh, you know, uh, kind of the radio does, or you can have like a couple hour, you know, conversation with somebody, you really get to know them, right? And what um, what we're doing in dreams is we're kind of taking the content of dreams into waking reality, and we're trying to di dissect it and put it into little boxes and say, oh, this is what that is, and this is what it's not. And I always go back to like the conversation with a friend, it would be very improper and also reductionist of me to say, oh, my friend is this or that, you know, and put a, you know, be like, oh, they said this word so many times. So therefore this word represents them kind of thing or whatever, you know, obviously my friend is constantly changing. So anytime that I visit this person, you know, over the years, they're, they've changed in such ways that I surprises me. Right. And, yeah. and their side dynamic. So the same thing goes for uh, dream content. My, my main goal is not so much to tell people what these things are, what these things aren't. It's instead to allow them to have an experience that is um, inside themselves, right? Like they have the tools and ability to do it. They just need to kind of practice some of those experiences so they can engage with those things themselves and really learn for themselves what they're, they are mm -hmm. and aren't. Through my experiences, which are in the book, talking about guardians, things like that, um, they've been protectors, you know, they've guided me in order to look at different parts of myself that I never really thought um, I could look at or I should look at and really challenged me in those ways. And they challenge you, they've challenged me through fear, uh, a lot of fear, um, also, you know, overcoming that fear and kind of at least working with it and to understand what that fear is. And, um, and even, you know, the scary ones, the ones that I felt were the worst are actually the biggest teachers of mine, if I really step back and look at it, you know, um, and oftentimes, you know, um, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's symbolically expressed in like the, um, the story of Job, where you encounter something, and it's so terrifying, and scary and destructive that you kind of just push it away, and you never encounter it again, because it's so traumatic. But what happens in that story is essentially uh, the individual Job has an experience and then goes back and challenges it again. And so when you do that, the dream symbols, the characters kind of understand what you're doing. You know, they're like, oh, okay, uh, I challenged you and you kind of came back at me and said, so what, you know, then the real content comes out, yeah. you know, because that was the initial phase to see if you would actually have the gumption to come back and actually face the things that you're terrified of you know like yeah. the freddy cougar and yeah. that's what the characters do in freddy cougar too you know is they uh one of the characters is no longer terrified you know of freddy cougar and is like hey you know you do whatever well you she's want. the heroine right yeah they, i think they brought her back for nightmare part two i don't remember right. but yeah She's a but heroine, the, right? Yeah, and the and the theme is over and over again in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Like every every movie, every it's like is the same. It's the same exact story where the person is faced with Freddy Krueger and and they they're like, I'm not gonna have it anymore. And then Freddy Krueger's like, Oh my gosh, this person isn't doing what I expected them to do. Yep. I've lost my power. And then they're 
they have yeah. nothing anymore. So we can see this theme in so many different movies, right? And when the power is taken away, the person just falls apart. It's the same thing yeah. with like Lord of the Rings where, um, you know, the, the the ring is destroyed and the power, power just falls out. You know, they disintegrate into nothing. So, but before, you know, they're the super powerful being that can't be destroyed and everyone's terrified of it, you know? But something so simple as a ring, you know, is where their power lays so and and that's and you know this is really part of what you're talking about too and i can't remember where it is but you know we're talking about hidden gateways too we're talking mm. about the mind we're talking about you don't say this in the book but i'm always fascinated by how little of our our brain we're actually using and you know whether or not i believe that the rest of the brain will get used in the complete esoteric realm you know, that's like like my dream uh, for that. But the symbolism in the world we're living in today and how much of it we hang on to and seeing symbols is so much a part of our life and so much a part of your work and book. Mm -hmm. And yet at the sometimes we don't really know that we're seeing a symbol. Let me mm -hmm. give you an example. Um, anytime we find a penny and it's, it's it, this is kind of like, if we find a penny, if Linda and I find a penny in the weirdest places, <laughs> there's the penny. Why would we be looking down? There is the penny and it's heads up. Symbolically, we both look at each other and we say, that's Joan, Linda's mom, mm -hmm. who passed. So, and, and then we always follow it up by, I wonder what Joan's trying to tell us. Now, that's a strange thing because, you know, in a sense, we have this penny as a symbol that we relate to Joan somebody that is of an incredible mentorship and wisdom for Linda and I. And then we ask, what is, I wonder what Joan's trying to tell us. Hmm. So, you know, when we find these symbols and we come aware of them, the next thing is, what do I do with them, Lee? Hmm. <laughs> well, the, uh, you know, um, the depth psychologists don't necessarily agree with me on this one, but I tend to think that this is a rational um, conclusion to what symbols actually are. And in the sense that symbols are everything, everything you possibly could ever experience is symbolically, uh, it's symbolically representing something, right? Yeah. So, you know, I see you, this obviously is not who you really are, you know, like a screen, <laughs> you're not my monitor. So I'm symbolically representing something that's uh, infinitely deep, right? You, you would take a lifetime to know, probably multiple lifetimes to know because you're constantly changing. And so it's symbolic, right? Um, but say uh, yesterday I was driving um, and I was looking at license plates and one license plate kind of jumped out to me, right? And I sat there and I looked at the license plate and I said, why is this license plate jumping out to me? So say everything comes into my mind, you know, like kind of uh, talked about this before, and um, everything's, uh, say everything is equal, right? Then why did my mind pick out this uh, license plate out of all the other license plate? Well, it has some type of important meaning to me, right? Because it jumped out, it's much more meaningful than the other ones. So what does it have to say? So even if you don't um, really believe in a spiritual realm or anything like that, you could talk in psychological terms and psychologically it would mean that this license plate has something internally psychologically to tell me so it's communicating symbolically not the license plate itself as a physical object 
but the mind and how it interacts with the images that I'm seeing and how it's represented from the license plate, that has some type of symbolic meaning to me. So in a lot of ways, it's like um, a language, like I kind of expressed before. And so I'm actively trying to learn the language of symbols because it's not speaking to me in English. You know, some people, <laughs> some people hear voices, right? And they're very like clear voices that tell them things, right? And wouldn't that be nice, you know, like if, if symbolically my mind used language, you know, <laughs> to communicate to me, but it doesn't do that for whatever reason. And um, so this language of images in, um, you know, in emotions and things like that is, it's very complex, but with any complex language, if you can learn it and understand it, um, the meaning is so much more in depth, right? And that's kind of where, come, like, uh, you've probably heard of like gnosis and things like that, where knowledge can come from uh, kind of just an understanding and knowing of things through experience, uh, through symbols. And that's where gnosis comes from is the symbolic understanding, right? It's a, I would like to think of it as a very complex language that most of us have never interacted with in consciously yep. and that it's a forgotten language that is essentially the building foundation of all languages and, and ourselves. Yeah. So um, it's absolutely essential. I think to people learn symbolic language and I'm not a skilled professional at it. I'm an individual that says, hey, you know, like if you have a dream and you come to me and you ask me questions about my dream, I say, well, what does that mean to you? Because the language is actually um, written in such a way that it's it's about you. It's about your experiences, not so much mine. We can relate in some images. Um, and that's where Jung came up with the idea of like universal images, uh, because universally we're kind of built the same way, right? We um, have a pattern in our body structures and our brain structures and and how we interact with reality that images, certain images come out um, to be more um, impactful than others. Yeah. So for instance, like the Ouroboros is a very impactful image of mine. I have like a picture on my chair about the um, yeah. snake eating its tail. And so it's been something that's very impactful through my entire life. And I've seen that Ouroboros come up in many different things. And also yeah. it's kind of directed me to learn different things about yeah. that image. So like um, arrival. I think one of the things that we're talking about here and we're, we're really, you know, we've got about a 30 seconds left. What <laughs> we're talking about here is first and foremost, you know, you really bring the importance of this to the forefront. And if the first step is awareness, it's something all of us can do. I mean, what would be the odds that I'm going through boxes in my garage and I come across a box and I find some very sacred material that I had put away over a decade ago? And one of them is a rattlesnake skin mm. Mm. Uh, that honestly I didn't know existed. <laughs> so all of a sudden now I have the symbol of that that is imprinted and it won't go away. And I think what you're saying, and especially in the book as the way you guide us through it, you know, you're, you're asking us, one, if we become more aware, and then if we can understand the process of lucid dreaming, you know, then we move through, as you say, this is a visionary guidebook. You know, this is where you're talking about everything from dreams to lucid dreams to really stepping into the world of symbolism. 
And that in itself, if if we stop there and then get the book and read it, there's a whole new world that opens 